Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. Earlier today, Minnesota U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar was in Moorhead. I had a chance to visit with her, so please be sure and stay with us for that conversation. Some very interesting stuff in there. And then earlier today from the Rose Garden, President Joe Biden announced some initial actions, executive actions to try and prevent gun violence here in the United States of America. I'm going to go through what he's proposing, play some clips from today's presser and really break down what does it mean for you and your Second Amendment right. So here's the initial uh, proposal that uh, Mr. Biden is talking about, some of the things he wants to accomplish. Before I get to the specifics in this, I just want you to pay attention to something. It says fact sheet. Biden-Harris administration announces initial actions to address the gun violence public health epidemic. Pay attention to the language, folks. We're going to get into that here in a moment, but the public health epidemic. Now, to give you the specifics of what he's proposing, he's saying the Justice Department within 30 days is going to issue a proposed rule to help stop the proliferation of ghost guns. Now, if you're not familiar with ghost guns, I'm not an expert on them, but essentially they are kits that people can put together. They're, they don't have serial numbers, so that's what they want to try and prevent the proliferation of those. The other thing they're going to try and do here is issue a proposed rule to make clear when a, when a device marketed as a stabilizing brace effectively turns a pistol what they're saying is into a short barreled rifle so the ag and president biden uh, talked about that today also justice department now is going to be promoting a, a model of red flag legislation laws uh, all across the country sort of a nationwide red flag law that's important remember we had tried to have one of those passed here in north dakota it failed i'm going to tell you why these laws are interesting and very important to you and your second amendment rights here in just a moment also, he's suggesting that the administration is going to invest in evidence-based community violence interventions. Uh, they're also going to issue an annual report on firearms. And then he nominated David Chipman to serve as the director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. So uh, I want to play this clip for you just to go back to the idea of this public health epidemic and gun violence in America. Before I play this for you, just think about the past 12, 13 months, we've been talking about this public health epidemic in the, in the COVID situation, okay? This is why I believe language is so important. When you think about what's happened over the past 12 to 13 months, how many constitutional rights have you and I given up? Remember, we weren't allowed to, to freely assemble. We weren't allowed to go into churches in, in large numbers. Some, some no churches, right? But it was okay to have casinos in Nevada. So how quickly we ended up giving up rights because we'd given so much powers to governors because of an epidemic with these emergency executive powers. Pay attention to the language. Here's some of what President Joe Biden said earlier today. Gun violence in this country is an epidemic. Let me say it again. Gun violence in this country is an epidemic, and it's an international embarrassment. Look, I don't know where we're going to go with that language. All I'm asking you is to pay attention to the language, especially in the context of how many rights we have surrendered due to this previous epidemic. We kept talking about here on Point of View, like, where are the faith leaders? You have a First Amendment right to freely assemble in your church. And many people said, OK, if the governor says no, I'm not going to do it when they have the right to do it. So just watch where this goes. Speaking of that, earlier on in this press conference today, President Joe Biden talked about these proposals and suggesting, hey, none of these are going to take away your constitutional rights. Here's what he had to say. Nothing, nothing I'm about to recommend in any way impinges on the Second Amendment. They're phony arguments suggesting that these are Second Amendment rights at stake from what we're talking about. Now, very important. 
I want to get into these red flag laws. I'm going to play a clip from uh, President Biden here about them in a moment. Uh, but essentially what happens for a red flag law is people can go to a judge or a court and say, wait a second, we think this person is harmful to themselves before they've committed any crime, before they've done anything, potentially remove firearms from those people. So I'm going to play the clip here in a moment. And then you tell me if you think that this infringes upon people's Second Amendment rights or not. They're also called red flag laws, which everybody in this lawn knows, but many people listening do not know. These laws allow a police or family member to petition a court in their jurisdiction and say, I want you to temporarily remove from the following people any firearm they may possess because they're a danger and a crisis. They're presenting a danger to themselves and to others. And the court makes a ruling. Now, oftentimes in these red flag laws, like you're guilty before you're, you know, you've got to prove your innocence, right? And so this is a, a situation here where you haven't committed any crime, all right? And yet a, a court can come in and say, wait a second, we deem this person to be a danger to themselves and others. We can remove now their firearm. In other words, nullify their Second Amendment rights. So when President Biden says, hey, none of the things we're suggesting infringe upon your Second Amendment rights, that's just not true. It's not an accurate statement. Now, to be fair, because one of the things I was hoping to hear today that's why I wanted to go through the list of items and share with you what they're proposing is when we see these these mass shootings, right? And, and, and a large number of people end up being killed due to this gun violence, at least the way it's reported, oftentimes it seems like, wait a second, there must be some mental health issues going on with these people that are doing this. And I think we often would agree that, hey, if we can do more with the mental health situation in this, in this nation, maybe we can prevent some of these mass shootings that are taking place. I understand some people potentially frame these red flag laws as a way to say, hey, Chris, this is a mental health situation, which it is. That's why they're, they're potentially being deemed as a danger to themselves or others. But then let's get them help. Let's get them the mental health that help that they need so they can get themselves healed rather than infringing upon their Second Amendment rights. Now, well, I think it's very, very important because we always just sort of hear in the media, hey, that person, if you even remember the, the shooter in Colorado, the brother of the shooter in Colorado said, yeah, the guy had mental health issues, you know, he had some very uh, challenging mental health issues. But does that always equate to the mass shootings that take place? There's mixed reviews in this. And I want to I want to share this with you because I think it's important to note uh, what some studies have shown. You can see here the facts on mental illness and mass shootings. I want to share with you some from this article. Grant Dewey, a criminologist at Baylor University, calculated that of the 185 public mass shootings in America between 1900 and 2017, at least 59% were carried out by people with symptoms of a serious mental illness or by those who had been previously diagnosed with a mental disorder. Now, in contrast, using a stricter standard of psychosis, a database of U.S. mass murder events between 1913 and 2015 put together by Columbia University, clinical psychiatrist Michael Stone revealed that only about 20% of perpetrators had a mental illness. So, my point in bringing that up to you is that we often hear in the media, hey, that person, there was a mass killing, that they clearly had mental health issues. Studies, when you do the research, it's not as clear. In fact, the American Psychological Association, you can see here, and this is from January 21st, down in your lower um, right-hand corner, what it says there is that persons with mental illness account for a very small, a very small portion 
of gun violence. So I wanted to give you both sides of that perspective just so that you, if you want, you can go do your own research and sort of extrapolate what you find out there as far as if there's any uh, correlation or causation, I should say, between you know some of these mass shootings and mental health issues. Either way, we have mental health issues in this nation. And so I'd much prefer to see us invest in ways to improve people's mental health rather than using things such as a red flag law to infringe upon people's uh, Second Amendment rights. Would love to know your thoughts on that perspective and th on things. Now, I want to play this for you as well from earlier today with President Joe Biden, because we've talked about this you know, several times on the show before about uh, assault weapons. Again, I would ask a lot of you to say, show me what exactly is an assault weapon. What exactly is an assault weapon? How would you define that? Please email us, text us, leave me a voicemail and let me know because I don't know if anyone really has a clear, a clear definition on what those are. Also, he said this. Should also ban assault weapons in high capacity magazines in this country. For that 10 years we had it done, the number of mass shootings actually went down. Even law enforcement officials have told me and told other champions of this legislation they sometimes feel outgunned by assault weapons with large capacity magazines. There's no reason someone needs a weapon of war with 100 rounds, 100 bullets that can be fired from that weapon. Nobody needs that. Nobody needs that. So I'd love to know your point of view on that. Should there be a quote-unquote assault weapons ban and a limit on high-capacity magazines? A lot to digest. So we're going to give you the things that really matter to you and your Second Amendment rights. And again, how do we solve this issue? And again, pay attention to the language. Pay attention to the language. All right. Earlier today, U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar was in more. I had a chance to visit with her about uh, H.R. 1. If you know that bill, it's all about sort of nationalizing voting. Also, we talked about the infrastructure plan and it's opening day for the twins. Here's some of that conversation. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we'll just touch on infrastructure. You got this sure. big bill that's coming out of the pipeline. Are you open to doing any changes to it from a standpoint to make it so it's at least bipartisan? I know Republicans say, hey, yeah. we want infrastructure. We just don't want only 9% of it going to infrastructure because yeah. Only 9%. You know, I think that the president has clearly signaled he's open to talking with Republicans, and I do this all the time. Uh, I'm going to be with Senator Hoven tomorrow, actually, and uh, my hope is that um, uh, we will be able to work together to work on this. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you exactly how that would look, but there's been always a lot of interest in infrastructure from both sides. I was one of the first Democrats on the FAST Act that Mitch McConnell did with Barbara Boxer way back. But my argument right now is that we need a much bigger investment. When you look at the broadband needs of the areas surrounding um, Moorhead and Fargo, um, that we still have places that don't have high-speed access. I was just on a phone call yesterday with a bunch of county commissioners in places like Lake of the Woods and Aiken County, you know, northern Minnesota. Um, they have some rates 20 to 40 percent don't have high-speed access. And that makes it really hard for businesses, for students, for people to stay at home and do their work. So I think that um, that that broadband will be pushing a lot of bipartisan support. Bridges and roads and potholes, one of our 
favored problems that we have in the northern states. Um, the uh, issues of getting goods to market. We have a big manufacturing hub um, in this region of Minnesota and North Dakota, and we've got to get our stuff to overseas so that we're making things and exporting them. And that's everything from freight rail to uh, dams and to locks and dams and making sure our river traffic works. We know a lot about rivers here and it's everything from the infrastructure that we're looking at for uh, the uh, flood protection uh, to infrastructure uh, when it comes to sewers and to water lines. And how about HR1? Any thoughts on where that goes and do you get 60 votes for it? <laughs> <laughs> um, that to me is really, really important. Uh, but we have a strong tradition of voting in our two states. Uh, we really do. We have high voter turnout. Okay, Minnesota has the highest <laughs> voter turnout in the country. But a lot of that is because, and we have elected Jesse Ventura, we've elected Tim Pawlenty with high voter turnouts. It just hasn't been Democrats. And the way that we have done it is by having people be able to easily register or Early, vote early, mail-in ballots, so important during the pandemic. And what this bill does is creates these minimum standards. One of the things that my Republican colleagues were really complaining about after the election was, hey, some states didn't even count their votes when they got them in. States like Pennsylvania, states like um, Wisconsin, there were a number of states that by law, not by politics, by law they wait. Red states, blue states, you name it. New York, Alaska, I mean, it's just all over the place. So. We could have minimum standards in place that states could do more than if they want, but said, you've got to start counting your ballots when they come in. You've got to be able to allow people to uh, vote early up to so many weeks. Uh, you have to be able to allow them to vote by mail uh, without having to have a notary, a notary public sign a bunch of things while they're in a hospital bed, which is exactly what South Carolina has in place now. So that is the guts of the bill. It's also about disclosing financial contributions, making sure the Supreme Court has an ethics code. They, all their other judges, they make them report when they get stuff, <laughs> not the Supreme Court. So these things have been a long time in waiting, and that's what this bill is, and that's why it's called For the People Act. It has a lot of support across the country. So I don't know the exact path. I just know my job as chair of the Rules Committee. We had a hearing. It was vigorously debated. We had a lot of good witnesses, including the former Bush FEC chair, Trevor Potter, who testified for the bill. Um, and now the uh, bill will have a, a markup, we call it, where we um, have debates about the bill and then send it to the floor. And even with a tied Senate, we'll have the ability to send it to the Senate floor. And from there, that's what kicks in your question um, of how we do it. And there's just going to be negotiations going on. There are a number of provisions that are bipartisan, at least nine of them. Many of them are mine, um, including requiring the social media companies to put disclaimers and disclosures, which radio and TV mm -hmm. have to do right now. That's a bill I have with Senator Graham. Senator McCain had it Thank with me before. That. Yes. Um, and including um, you know, some bans on foreign contributions and a number of other things that are bipartisan. So we start with that. But the guts of the bill, to have those minimum standards in place, um, governors, Republican governors and Democratic governors have supported these across the country. So that one is the one that I think is a really the focal point of the bill. And so that's the one we'll have to work with them on and uh, work, of course, with Senator Manchin on. Um, as well. One fun question. The time, uh, just mm -hmm. the twins, live people in the stadium. It's open yeah. day. Just it's so exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is really exciting. I think it's going to be 10,000 lucky people yeah. um, that <laughs> will be, you know, sitting apart, all of that. Um, it's out. Um, and we're very, very excited about that. 
just as we are about all the Minnesota hockey teams. Okay, I didn't mean to do this for your North Dakota audience <laughs> uh, that are uh, headed to the uh, college tournament, the ooh, Frozen Four. Um, so there's a lot going on. Uh, I watched that game. Thank you so much to Senator Amy Klobuchar for her time and insight there. As always, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, tomorrow, she's going to be in Fargo with Senator John Hovens. We'll be at that at event covering it for you and hope you get a chance to visit with Senator Hoven tomorrow. All right, please share your point of view with us. Very easy to do. You can email us, text us, leave us a voice. When we come back, we're going to get to some of your points of view coming up right after this. Stick around.